Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Samuel, chapter 25. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable towards my men, since we came at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is the son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered from my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped his on as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give your masters greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my lord, to that wicked man Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives, and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet you, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk, so she told him nothing at all until daybreak. Then in the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things, and his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing from him down on his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. 
All right, good morning. My name is Aaron, and um, I am one of the pastors uh, at Exilic, uh, but I am not only one of the pastors here, but I am also a very difficult person. How many of you have difficult people in your life? Maybe it's your, <laughs> maybe it's your roommate uh, who never does the dishes, uh, seems to be a little bit inconsiderate. Maybe it's your neighbor who blasts loud music on the weekdays and weeknights. Maybe the most difficult person in your life right now are your parents or your in-laws. Maybe it's your coworkers or your boss. Maybe it's your kids at this season of your life. At one point or another, we have all had difficult people in our life that we cannot get along with, but we can't seem to get away from. Who, right now, are the difficult people in your life? And what are you doing to improve the quality of your relationship with them? Well, if you're joining us for the first time today, we're finishing up our series on 1 Samuel. And uh, we began this teaching series uh, by opening up um, 1 Samuel 1 with a very remarkable woman named Hannah, who happened to have fertility issues, but was able to miraculously give birth to a boy named Samuel. And by the time we get to chapter 25, we read in the opening sentences that Samuel is now old and gray and has now died. So a lot happens from chapter 1 to chapter 25. But the way that we're going to finish up the bookends of our current series is to finish up with yet another extraordinary woman who has not gotten a lot of press, and that is Abigail. I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon on Abigail before, but for Abigail, the most difficult person in her life was her spouse. It was her husband, Nabal. Uh, the poet and philosopher uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson once said that women see clearer than men. And when you study the pages of Scripture, whether it is the story of Hannah, the women who first saw the empty tomb, the story of Abigail, or many other countless stories in the Bible about women, what Emerson says does not fall far from the truth. Women do see clearer than men. And the older you get, the more you understand that. And so we're going to be taking a look at the story of Abigail today. Who was she? Who was the difficult people in her life? And what did she do in terms of handling the difficult people in her life? So take a look with me at verses 1 to 3. And it says this, Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. A certain man in Maon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. So the opening sentences of chapter 25 begin with Israel's spiritual leader or pastor, Samuel, dying. And the camera slowly now shifts 
and pans to two new characters, Nabal and Abigail. And here's what we know about Nabal. Nabal was very wealthy, but he was surly or just unkind, bad temper, and he was mean. Just not a nice person. I don't know if you've ever heard the saying, some people are so rich, all they have is money. They have no community, no friends, no love, no wisdom, no character. That was Nabal. He was rich, but he was poor in all the areas that really, really mattered. And then the camera shifts to his wife, Abigail, who is the exact opposite of Nabal. She is described as both intelligent and beautiful. You know what I find very interesting? I could be wrong, but as far as I know, there is only one person in all of the Bible, whether male or female, who is both described as intelligent and attractive. You know who that is? It's Abigail. She is, she's the total package. She's both intelligent and beautiful, but as beautiful as she is on the outside, she is even more radiant on the inside. And we know that because the author here describes Abigail as intelligent. Now, I don't know if intelligent is the best dynamic equivalent of the Hebrew word that is used here, sekel. I think there is a word that is a better dynamic translation of it. And so what is it? Well, a few weeks ago, I, um, I talked about the German word schadenfreude. And today I want to introduce a word, a Korean word, that one or two of you might know, and that is the word nunchi. Now, what does nunchi mean? Well, the New York Times, Yuni Hong, writes about the Korean secret to happiness and success. And this is what Yuni says. She says, I was born in the United States and raised in an English-speaking household. Nonetheless, some Korean words were impossible to escape. One of the first uh, I learned was nunchi, literally translated, I measure. Nunchi is the art of sensing what people are thinking and feeling and responding accordingly, appropriately. It's speed reading a room. Do you sense when a host secretly wants you to leave? Do you accurately sense when dangers are real before your friends do? Then you probably have quick nunchi. When a work meeting is about to end, do you jump in with, I just have one more question. Do people roll their eyes when you speak? Hopefully not now. Then you need to work on your nunchi. Nunchi is extraordinarily suited for modern life because it requires speed and adaptability. All you need are your eyes and your ears and this is the hard part, a quiet mind. Uh, I haven't watched a K-drama in like 20 years, but I have recently gone down a rabbit hole that I cannot get out of. And uh, one, one of the dramas that I recently finished was a show called 39. Now, I did not think I would like 39 because I'm 29, and, uh, and, it's, and it's really about three three women who are besties, and so I thought that th this show would be totally unrelatable. But I found myself at seven in the morning brushing my teeth, squeaking in like two minutes of 39, weeping uncontrollably as I watched this show, because this show 
is probably the best show I've ever seen depicted on friendship. And without giving any spoilers to this show, one of the patterns that you see as you watch these uh, episodes is that it seems like there's always a few characters who hold on to painful secrets, not only for years, but for decades. They just hold these painful secrets inside. And then when they finally tell the other person the secret that's about them, what I find very interesting is that the other pattern that you see is that the person doesn't get angry or upset. But when the person finally hears the secret that's about them, they almost invariably respond with, oh my goodness, that must have been so hard for you to hold on to that secret and to shoulder it all by yourself for all of these years. You know what that is? That's not just emotional intelligence. You know what that is? That is nunchi. That is the ability to sense how other people are feeling and responding appropriately. How good, maybe I'll put it this way, would your friends say you have a high, high level of nunchi or discernment? Notice I did not say, do you think you have a high level of nunchi? Because the truth of the matter is we all think we have a high level of nunchi. But would your friends, the people that know you most, would they say about you that you have a high, high level of nunchi or not? Abigail does. Unfortunately, her husband, Nabal, does not. Because in verse 4 through 11, this is what we read. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10 young men and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. David answered David's servants, Who, who is this David? Who, who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread, my water, and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows now, just a quick context on Bedouin culture because it doesn't make sense to our urban sensibilities. But David and his men, uh, you know, if you remember, David was a shepherd in his prior life. He is voluntarily watching over Nabal's shepherds and sheep. Common Bedouin practice. I'll, I'll look out after you. You look out after me. And so when it's finally sheep shearing time, David sends 10 of his young men to ask, you know, to tell Nabal, health and wealth to you, and if you can, um, after all that we've done, would it be okay if you send us some food for all the work that we've done? Nabal says, what? I don't know who this guy is. Like, who, who, who is this guy, David? Which is a total lie, because by this point in the story, David is a national hero. 
What he did to Goliath has gone viral. Everybody knew who David was. Yet Nabal's response is, I don't know this guy. Like, who is this David and why does he want uh, all my stuff? You know what that is? That is a lack of nunchi. That is a lack of understanding what someone else has done for you and, the, and an inability to respond appropriately. And so if nunchi is being able to see a situation very clearly, oftentimes what sin does to us is that it blurs our vision from seeing things clearly. Have you ever worn a face mask and glasses? You ever experienced your glasses fogging up because of your breath? That's what sin does to us. It blurs our vision from seeing reality. What is Nabal's sin that is causing him to have a lack of discernment and and, and nunchi? He's proud. He's arrogant. He's greedy. He's selfish. He's not not generous. He's he's the hubris. And so all of these things are preventing Nabal from seeing things as uh, clearly as he ought to. And the truth of the matter is, we all have sin in our life. Every one of us here, which is why even for the best of us who have a high level of nunchi, even for the best of us, our sin blurs things in certain situations clear, from seeing things clearly. And as a result, we say things and we do things that we probably should not do. And I say this because it's not only Nabal who lacks nunchi, but you know what? It's also David. And we read in verse 12 to 13 this, David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. How does David deal with the difficult people in his life? Strap on your swords. You want conflict? You want confrontation? Let's do this. He doesn't only bring four of his buddies. He doesn't bring 40 of his buddies. He brings 400 men with him to kill Nabal and all of the men in his camp just because he couldn't get some lamb chops and mutton. You know what that is? That is a lack of nunchi. That is a lack of discernment. That is dis proportionate anger to the current situation that there is. You know, it's interesting because the Bible talks about various kinds of anger. There's like blow-up anger where you unleash your wrath and fury on everyone, sort of like New Yorkers do. There's a clamming up anger where you suppress all that anger inside of you. And so you don't destroy everyone in your path, but your insides are destroyed. You're burning up with bitterness. So there's a blow-up anger, a clamming-up anger, but the Bible also talks about a, a being slow to anger as well. Count to 10, take a deep breath, and you reflect on whether your anger is, first of all, justified and proportionate to the situation that, uh, that you're in. Proverbs 14.29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, or nunchi, but he who has a hasty temper exalts in folly. How do you handle the difficult people in your life? Are you like David, 
strapping on your sword, super confrontational. Maybe you're the opposite of David. You're totally non-confrontational, just dancing around eggshells, kind of ghosting on them silently, retreating from them, or slowly cutting them out of your life. How do you handle the difficult people uh, in your life? Both Nabal and David respond harshly because they lacked nunchi. And oftentimes this is what we do with the difficult people in our life. If we don't cut them out silently, we respond very harshly, whether it's to our kids, lash out the lash out at them because of what they're doing, our parents, because we know we can get away with it, sometimes to our roommates. And the reason why we respond this way is because difficult people, they know where that vulnerable spot in your armor is, and they push that button. They just know how to push that button. And as a result of that, because we want to feel like we're better than them or superior to them, we say things like, why do you always do this? Why do you never do that? Why do I always have to do this to you? Don't you know how busy I am? Don't you know how tired I am? Don't you know I have all this other stuff to do? And so this is why we react the way that we do. And yet, we fail to realize that when we are patient in one moment of anger, it can save us from 100 moments of sorrow and regret. Proverbs 15 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. And we see a good picture of gentleness, not in these two men, but in two women who are the heroines in this story. Verse 14 to 17, it says, one of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us. The whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. You know, what I find so interesting about these verses is that when you study scripture time after time after time, the heroes and heroines in the Bible are not the strong, the educated, and the powerful, but time after time after time, the heroes and the heroines in the Bible are weak, they're often uneducated, and they're often very overlooked. And who is the first heroine in this story? It is a servant with a high level of nunchi. And what does this servant want to do? She wants to diffuse this quickly escalating situation. The only problem is Nabal is the kind of person that no one can talk to. And my question to every one of us is, are you the kind of person that is approachable? Or would your friend say they are not really approachable? They are too quick to be defensive and proud. What would your friend say about you? Are you inviting? Do you smile? Do you, do, you, do you have a warm heart, a gentle heart? Do you possess wisdom? Would people say about you that you are approachable or would they say behind your back, they are like Nabal? Nobody can talk to them. How approachable are you? In verse 23 to 27, 
It says that when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent, and now my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift, which your servant has brought to my Lord, be given to the men who follow you. Take a look at Abigail's response. It is the total opposite of Nabal's response and David's response. Both David and Nabal respond with hubris. Abigail responds with humility. Notice how many times she refers to David as a servant, David as her Lord. David and Nabal respond with meanness and unkindness, a lack of mercy. And yet here is Abigail who is responding with compassion, kindness, and mercy. It takes great nunchi and great skill to not only win an argument, but to win over a person. You do know that you can win an argument and lose a person, do you not? And so much of it depends on our tone, and not just the content of what we say, but our posture. You can win an argument, totally lose a person. But what does Abigail do here? She not only wins the argument, diffuses the situation, but she wins over David's heart as well. And we know this because David responds by saying in verse 32, David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment, or nunchi, and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonged to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. David praises Abigail for her good judgment and her nunchi. And when you think about Abigail, what she does here, it's very hard for me not to think about First Peter where Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold, uh, gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. And Peter is saying here is that what we should do is not just adorn ourselves and dress ourselves with nice clothes, but every morning we wake up, we should adorn and dress ourselves with nunchi. And one of the best ways of adorning and dressing ourselves with nunchi is by learning to love, lead, and live with difficult people. Can I just say that again? 
one of the best ways of increasing our level of nunchi is by learning to love, lead, and live with the difficult people in our life. The New York Times bestselling author Bob Goff once said, love difficult people. You're one of them. Spurgeon once said, everything is a blessing which causes us to pray. Everything, even difficult people. So we have to learn how to do this. Now, I do not want this sermon to be one of those typical sermons that you hear that is totally naive and unrealistic to our modern sensibilities. I don't want this sermon just to be about indiscriminately, unconditionally loving everyone, no ifs, ands, or buts, because the Bible has if, ifs, ands, or buts, because the Bible oftentimes, or sometimes I should say, does talk about the importance of setting up boundaries with difficult people. And at times the Bible does talk about cutting toxic people out of our lives. Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Proverbs 14, 7. It says this. Stay away from a fool, for you will not find knowledge on their lips. So the Bible is very realistic. There are times where we need to establish boundaries with difficult people in our life. There are times where we need to cut toxic people, not just difficult people, but toxic people out of our lives. And yet the challenge, of course, is juxtaposing all of these verses in Proverbs with other verses like Luke 6, where it says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And so here is a question. How are we supposed to know whether we should establish boundaries with difficult people? How are we supposed to know whether we should cut difficult people out of our lives when we have these two seemingly contradictory verses in, in the Bible? Well, Maria Baer um, has some questions that I found helpful uh, in an article called Avoiding Difficult People is Not Christ-like Love. And she says this. Here are four things. Number one, that we should ask ourselves, could I, not they, but I, be at all responsible for some of the difficulty I'm sensing in this relationship? It takes great nunchi to answer this question accurately. Number two, does this person entice me to sin in a way that I can't healthily address while remaining in proximity to him or her? Here's a good principle. Why was Jesus able to hang out with tax collectors and, and prostitutes? It's because he influenced them far more than they influenced him. When you think about the difficult or toxic people in your life, are you influencing them more or are they influencing you more? It's a good way of trying to address and answer this question number three. Is there a way to maintain this relationship in order to minister to this person while also withdrawing some, not all, some of my, my intimacy. Hence, the importance of establishing boundaries at times. And last but not least, am I considering this relationship as something that should bless me instead of asking, 
how I can first be a blessing to them. Just want to say the words of Bob Goff again. Love difficult people. You're one of them. And it seems to me that this principle should be our modus operandi. Cutting toxic people out of our life is an option, but it should never be a first option, but a last resort uh, that takes place. And I say that because I want us to think about the gospel for a moment through the lens of Abigail. What does Abigail do here? She intervenes, intercedes, and mediates on behalf of the most difficult person in her life, her husband, Nabal. Nabal has no clue of what's going on behind the scenes. This dude is drinking and partying like there's no tomorrow, unbeknownst to him that David wants to cut off his head and everyone around him. Dude has no clue what's going on. And yet here is Abel behind the scenes, mercifully interceding on behalf of her enemy, her husband, Nabal. And similarly, this is what Jesus does for us, oftentimes unbeknownst to us. He intercedes on our behalf, even when we don't recognize it or don't see it clearly. Because there are times where we are difficult as well because of our sin. We are proud, impatient, curt with our words, and not as loving as we can be. But much like Abigail who intercedes on Nabal's behalf, Jesus intercedes on ours. And notice the response of David to Abigail's request. He praises her. He blesses her. He even thanks her for saving him from himself. But notice Nabal's response to Abigail's mediation. Nabal responds with a lack of gratitude and total indifference. If anything, he is, again, just focused on himself. And so as you think about Jesus and what he has done for you, my question to you is how would you respond to a man who intercedes on our behalf? And unlike Abigail, who potentially intercedes on her husband's behalf at the potential cost of her life, what does Jesus do? He lays down his life on our behalf. But the question is, will you respond like David or will you respond like Nabal to what Jesus has done for us? How will you respond? Maybe just three last things as we wrap up. Um, as you think about the various navels in your life, um, I don't know if you've actually ever tried this, but one thing that can diffuse some of the anger and the hurt that you feel toward the navels in your life is to simply pray for them. It is very difficult to hate someone you pray for because when you're praying for them, you're advocating to God on their behalf. Have you considered just praying for the difficult people in your life? Number two, nunchi is not something that you're born with, okay? But it is something that you can grow into. And unfortunately, you can't just, you don't just get nunchi from reading a book. Some things are better caught with the eye than taught. And we see this in the life of Abigail. But you know what? There are so many people in this room, high level of nunchi. Study how they respond to certain situations, emails, texts, difficult conversations that are really hard to navigate. Watch and learn what people are doing with a higher level of nunchi than you do. And you know what? As they do it, just copy it. Do the same thing. Imitate what they're doing as well. Surround yourself with a better company of people than yourself. 
Maybe the last thing I would say is have a vision for that difficult person's future. Not just their present, but their future. And I'll close with this. In 2001, crazy, heart, over 20 years ago, there was a movie called Beautiful Mind that came out. It's a true story about a math professor at Princeton named John Nash, who also happened to be a paranoid schizophrenic. And during one of the more difficult scenes, uh, someone asked John Nash's wife, like, how do you deal with him? He's like so difficult. Like, how do you put up with him in, in, in your marriage? And, and she responds by saying, during my darkest moments with John, I try to remember the man that I first married. And that gives me the strength to unconditionally love him. That's great, right? But I don't know if just thinking about someone's past is enough juice to give us strength to love them in the present. I just don't know if, how realistic that is. So it's not enough just to remember who they once were when we first befriended them or got to know them. But it's also important to have a vision for their future and who they could potentially be, who God wants them to be as well. Because God is not finished with this person yet as well. And one day there is a chance that you will be in heaven with this difficult person. And my hope and prayer is not that you would say, freak, I can't believe this person is here. <laughs> it's not going to be paradise for me anymore. <laughs> but my hope and prayer is that when you see that difficult person in heaven, you will say, I knew it. I always saw that in you. I knew that you could be this person. I knew it. And so as you think about those difficult people, have a vision for them just the way God does. And you will learn to love them just like Abigail loves Nabal. And God also loves us in our difficulties too. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, um, maybe the first thing that we can say is just to acknowledge our own sin and difficulties. <laughs> Sometimes we're not the easiest people to be around either. Cranky, hangry, impatient. You know, we, we run out of bandwidth at times and we explode. Uh, so first and foremost, forgive us for our sins. And, and secondly, would you uh, help us to be more like Abigail? the only person in the Bible who is both beautiful on the outside and the inside for a high level of ninchi. Would you give us a self-awareness and awareness of others and the moxie and the strength to love people the way that you do? In Jesus' name I pray.